God's message this morning is entitled, Committed to Him. 1 Corinthians 4.20 reads, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. Being a believer and a follower of Jesus is not moral platitudes. It's not lofty intentions. It's not noble thoughts. The fundamental characteristic of God's kingdom is power. You know, Paul faced constant criticism in the early church as those that would follow him around slandering him and encouraging others to slander him also as they fought against him. Paul reminded the people that the test of our authenticity is not always persuasive words, but a spiritual power and how we live our lives for Christ. Uh, We encounter many people who try to convince others of their opinions concerning God's kingdom, and they speak passionately. They bring charts. Often they bring graphs. They bring statistics to prove their point. But the test of the validity of their words is the spiritual power of their lives. If you only have the appearance of godliness without the corresponding spiritual power, today let it be the day that you ask God to cleanse you of whatever you're filling your life with. Whether it's that need for recognition, that need for money, that need for power, that need for lust, that need for gossip, that need for drugs, that need for pride. May he replace that with his power. Today's his message is for each of us to do some honest soul searching. Father God, I just ask that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing unto your sight today, Father. Let us take a moment to listen, to listen to you as you speak to us individually and collectively as the body of Christ. We love you, Lord. We give you thanks. Your son's name. Amen. Mercury is one of the hottest planets. Well, it is the hottest planet. It's the closest to the sun. And Pluto is the coldest. And I know it's a dwarf planet, so it's not really recognized by scientists as being a planet. So if you want to put Neptune in there, you can. But Mercury is the closest planet to the sun. And Pluto is the furthest away and has the greatest distance. So Pluto is hot and... I mean, Pluto is cold and Mercury is hot. So how are you as a believer? Are you Pluto or are you Mercury? And you know, we live here on Earth where it's hot sometimes, cold sometimes, depending upon where you are. Are you a seasonal believer? In your walk with the Lord, is it wintertime, summertime, springtime, is it fall? I want you to remember this is. He goes through his message this morning. God is constant. He doesn't change. It's us that change. Scripture tells us the living God, which we cannot see, is like those planets, or like Pluto and Mercury. We cannot see them, but we know they're there, and we know that he is with us. And you know, most people, they don't really, Excuse me, they don't really want to hang out where it's really hot. And there's some that really do. But for a long period of time, if you're hanging out where it's hot, that power of that heat begins to drain you. And it really begins to work on you because there's effects on being in that kind of temperature. 
for a long period of time. You can't be under that kind of power and not be affected. So if you hang out with the sun, capital S-O-N, you're also going to sweat some. You're going to sweat the power of God, his will, his commandments. You're going to struggle and sweat his word because you cannot hang out in the presence of Jesus Christ without some of it rubbing off on you. John 15, beginning in verse 3, says, You have already clean, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain on the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. The way you know he's rubbing off on you is that you begin to walk and talk just like he did. You pick up some of his habits, you pick up his direction, and you pick up his influence by being that close to him. Luke 6.40 says, A student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. So believers should live their lives in a way that their actions come together in a picture of salvation. Salvation is a gift. And for those that are believers, it already exists. The goal of living the life of a believer is to arrange one's lifestyle to where it looks like the existence of a person who has been saved by grace. Then you get to live out Romans 12.1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies in living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. It's amazing to see a picture of children, young children, and they look so much like mom and dad. Well, that's because there's a DNA connection. And some look like mom and dad. Some look more like mom or some look more like dad. I know our youngest granddaughter, Emerson, has beautiful blue eyes, which she gets from her dad. She has long eyelashes, which she also gets from her dad. And when Tyler was younger, the girls used to go, I have such beautiful eyes, such beautiful eyelashes. I'm going to tell you, Emerson, as a girl, daddy's going to struggle with those same comments. Daddy's not going to like for boys to go, oh, your daughter has beautiful eyes. What are you doing looking at my daughter's eyes? But we can't help that because it's in our DNA. We have that connection. We have that essence of our parents that is in our DNA. That essence is transferred to us. The same thing should be happening with the DNA that's in you from the Holy Spirit. That essence of Jesus Christ is transferred to you. People should notice and be marveled at the resemblance. Matthew 5.16 says... In the same way, let your light shine before men that they might see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. And then First John, beginning in the second chapter, 
But if anyone obeys his words, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know that we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. You see, when Jesus discussed with his disciples this talk of sharing the good news, the talk of discipleship, it was in the context of the Greek culture and influencing the Roman Empire. You see, Jesus was looking for and is still looking for a generation of followers who are consumed by the way he thought, are consumed by his worldview and by his orientation. All that will be integrated into the culture in which we're saturated in. The culture will have to live under the influence of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus permeates the culture. So how does that happen today? Well, it's real simple. It happens when your total commitment to him is realized. That deep relationship that you have with him continues to get deeper and deeper. You walk closer and closer to him. Therefore, someone that says that they're a school teacher is a disciple of Christ. They're just disguised as a teacher. And someone that's a businessman is just a, he is a disciple of Christ disguised as a businessman. And yet we want to do just the reverse. We want to put a facade up of being a disciple of Christ and we want to live that worldly life. That's not what Christ is asking us to do. The idea that we disguise ourselves in the job that we have. We need to show that we are a disciple of Christ. That's the way we impact the world. Matthew 5.13 says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. We need to emulate Jesus Christ. We need to have that relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, so often people want salvation, but they don't want to put in the time to be a strong disciple of Christ. Luke 18, 18 says, A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus answered him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false testimony. Honor your father and your mother. To which the young ruler replied, All these things I have kept since I was a boy. Yet he walked away. And you know, God gives us free will because you don't read in that chapter that Jesus went running after him. Jesus said, as he says to us, what he needs to tell us. And then we make choices. You see, what many want to do with a Christian life is they want to audit that life. An audit is where a person goes to class to get information. But it's not required to do any of the work or a lot of the work. And they don't have to take a test over it. They're just there for informational purposes. They want data without the responsibility. That's an audit. And that's what so many people do on Sunday. They audit Jesus. First Corinthians, beginning in the ninth chapter, the 23rd verse, Paul says, I do all this 
for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in the blessings. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way to get a prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it for a crown that will last forever. You see, a believer should be someone that is visible, verbally following Christ, that's clearly representative of him when all he says and all he does. There should be no question that you're a believer or follower of Jesus Christ to everyone that's around you. Second Timothy 1, beginning in the seventh verse, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. So do not be ashamed to testify about the Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner, but join me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything that we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. The grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. You know, one day there's going to be this big production here on earth. It'll be worldwide. It'll be a great show. When it comes to town, God will be the producer, the Holy Spirit will be the director, and Jesus will be the superstar. In the meantime, before that production, before that show gets here, God has left us to be the previews to that coming attraction. As disciples of Christ, we are supposed to be that preview clips people see. You know, when you go and you see the clips of a coming move, coming attraction, they show you the best part of it, don't they? And you think, I want to see that. Or they show you things that you go, there's no way I want to see that. You know what? Think about that as you live your life. If you say to be a Christian, but you don't live by the word of God, people are going to go, why do I want to do that? But if they see you with that joy in your heart and that commitment to Jesus Christ, they're going to want to go, I want some of that. They'll be the ones that'll be saying, you know what? When this show comes to town, I want to buy a ticket. With a smile on your face, you can say, your ticket has already been paid for. Your admission is covered. So for us today, we need to live out the 12th chapter of Hebrews, the first verse. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witness, let us throw off everything that hinders us, that hinders, and the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked for us. God is calling us to be sanctifiers, those who set themselves apart and are set apart for the purpose of the transformation of others. Changing them from where they are to where they ought to be. That's sanctification. And here's the struggle with that. It requires a savior. It requires the cross. John 16, 33 says, I have told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. One problem that we have is when we want to make changes, we want to do them on our own, by our own will. Rather than turning our lives over in faith to the one that has given us a new life, we want to do it on our own. 
The profound testimony of Scripture is that the blood of Jesus Christ, the death of the Son of God, is sufficient and completely free. And it, re- it removes our sins. Satan does not want you to believe that. Satan wants to bring back to your mind to, to recall all those things that you have done. And if you have truly repented of them, Scripture tells us God says, I remember them no more. So the question is, who do you want to believe? Discipleship or sharing the gospel is more than acquiring head knowledge and memorizing scripture verses. It's learning to give Jesus Christ total access to your life so that he will live his life through you. It's not about you. It's about him living his life through you. The difficulty is... Sometimes we believe that our relationship is deeper with Christ than it truly is. When others watch you respond to crisis, when they watch you respond to any difficult situation, do they see the risen Lord responding? What does the presence of Jesus Christ, how does the presence of Jesus Christ make your life different? God wants to reveal himself to those around you by working through you. He wants your family to see his love through you. And there's a difference between living a Christian life and allowing him to live his life through you. Matthew 16:24 says, "If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me." So often We want to define what that looks like. We don't want to be in the word of God and hearing his word. We want to rewrite that. You hear that today. Some people say, you know what? The Bible's real old. We need to rewrite that so it fits us. No. We need to fit his word. Self-centered people try to keep their lives unruffled, undisturbed, safe, and secure. Our temptation is to give our time and effort to our goals in the world. Then when we are successful in the world's eyes, we want to bring God into it and say, you know, I want to thank God for honoring my success. I want to thank God for my business being successful. I want to thank God for being the most valuable player in whatever athletic league you want to think. God is not interested in receiving secondhand glory. From your activity. God receives glory for his activity through our lives. We need to deny self and join the activity of God as he reveals his will to each of us. Remembering this, there is no true belief in Jesus Christ without the cross. If you are waiting for a relationship with God that never requires suffering or inconvenience then you cannot use Jesus Christ as your model. God's will for you involves sacrifice of the cross. So, take up your cross and then follow him. We're in a world where those around us desperately need to be encouraged by your encounters with Christ. So many have lost hope that they can even experience the reality of God's presence in their lives. But you know what they don't need? 
They don't need philosophies. They don't need theological speculation. They don't need to hear your opinions of what they should do. They need to hear from someone who has had a personal life-changing encounter with God and what God has done in your life. Our responsibility will not be to convince others of the reality of God, but to simply bear witness to what our Lord has said and done in our lives. The change in your life is seen by how you live your life. That'll be the greatest testimony that you can give, and that will deepen your relationship with Jesus Christ. But you know, as a people, we are so enthralled with activity and with doing things and with tasks. We assume we are saved for a task we are to perform rather than for the relationship with Jesus we're to enjoy. God uses our activities and our circumstances to bring himself closer to us. When he gives us a God-sized assignment, one of those where you say, God, I can't do this by myself, praise the Lord. He knows you can't. But he wants to draw himself closer to you so that he can use you to do that. When we have a crisis and we don't think we can get through it, God is drawing you closer to him. It may be painful. But his perseverance never goes away. His will be done. When you are in God's activity, you will have changes that are very noticeable by your testimony of this new life you receive. You trust Jesus as your Savior and Lord. John 3, 3 says, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. When you get a chance, you turn to Micah 6, 8, and there's three things that Micah writes about that God requires and he asks of us. First, he wants us to show justice. To desire justice is not enough. We must also, just in the way, we also show justice just in the way we treat others. We should keep our word. We should have deep integrity with all that we say and do. Secondly, we should love mercy. The fact that we have received undeserved mercy from God should motivate us enough to show mercy to others. And finally, God requires that we walk humbly with him. God doesn't ask for spectacular acts of service. God asks for us to humbly be obedient to him in his calling. We make our belief more complicated than it needs to be when we rely on self. If we strive to be completely obedient to the basic things that God wants us to be obedient to, then you know what? Those more complex assignments become clearer. And you get more and more of them. The Apostle Paul said that when he was a new follower of Jesus, that he believed as a spiritual child. But when he matured in his faith, he became a a spiritual adult. We should strive for that maturity. Just in the way that Micah 6.8 says. But you know, we're human. 
and we still have envy and we still have anger and we still have unforgiveness and we still have pride. We still have all those things that creep into our life. But thank God we have a God that is understanding and forgiving. And you're given an opportunity to change your ways, to change your mind, to turn around and be obedient only to him. The more you walk with Christ, the more you conform to the image of Jesus Christ. And you know what? Your heavenly Father will be satisfied with your obedience and your humility, just as he was with his son who he said, This is my son with whom I am well pleased. You need to measure your progress toward this maturity. You can do so in prayer. You can openly and boldly ask God, Am I where you want me to be? And then listen. So often we'll ask God, am I where you want me to be? Because here's where I think I should be, God. That's not a conversation with God. That's you stepping out there believing that you, for some reason, for some moment in time, are God. One may ask another mature believer to be open and honest with them as to where they think they are. As mature believers, we need to be honest with them. Graciously, lovingly, be honest with them. We cannot be satisfied with anything other than a full, developed relationship with God Almighty. That is a mature relationship. You may have hundreds of questions on your way to maturity. Those answers will come when you put on your shoes and walk in his steps. But most importantly, they come in his timing, not yours. Trusting him each step of each day. Knowing that your salvation comes from the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and from God's loving grace for you. So do you say that you want to experience God? You want his presence in your life, but yet your actions reveal just the opposite. If you say you want to know and experience God, but you neglect studying his word, you're not truly seeking him. If you don't regularly spend time with him in prayer and listen during that prayer time, the question is, are you genuinely seeking God? If you are, he promises that he will find you. And be bold, as we said a couple of weeks ago, that you, an ordinary person, are like John and Peter, who were ordinary men. In the fourth chapter of Acts, we see that these people were astonished at the courage and the boldness they had of these men. They walked with Jesus. As you walk with Jesus daily, let the witness of the changes taking place in you come from him, not from you. Be humble. If you must prove to someone that God has really changed you, there's a good chance that he has not changed you. Those around you will surely notice when your life has been transformed by your relationship with Jesus. There are those around you that you have been brought into their lives to encourage them, and there's are those are around you that you will sit there and say, God, I don't like being around these people. They are not believers. There's a reason that you're in that spot as a believer. 
He brings you when and where he needs you to be. You know, in the ninth chapter of Acts, we see Paul who has gone through this transformation, seeking to be part of this inner circle here of these apostles. And it is Barnabas that steps up and says, I will walk with you. Barnabas was the encourager. So you may identify with Paul, perhaps thinking that you're an improbable candidate to be committed to Jesus. And it may be that God has placed believers around you to encourage you. Or you may be in a situation where you have little confidence of those around you. Be assured of this. If God can turn the proud, murderous Saul into one of the greatest saints in history, he is just equally as capable of redeeming you and those around you. So do not give up on those around you and do not give up on yourself. Look to see where God is working in you and in those around you. It's a great privilege to be like Barnabas, to be an encourager, to invest the life of another believer. That's the purpose of discipleship. So this morning, did you begin your morning saying, I intend to encounter Jesus today? Is your search for him half-hearted or are you seeking him with your whole heart? Again, if your heart is dead set on pursuing him, you will find him. Don't let sin dull your senses. Ask God to sensitize sensitize you and those around you. Ask him to speak to you about what's going on around you. Be sensitive to the Holy Spirit at work. There may be someone in here that has stopped following Jesus or that has never followed Jesus. And maybe now you want to follow him again or you want to follow for the first time. I want to say something to those that stop and start following Jesus. You stop following Jesus on your own terms. You make those choices. But remember this. When you decide to return to Jesus, it's strictly under his conditions. He is God. You are not. So the question is, are you willing to follow Jesus anywhere, anytime, under any condition? That's the only way to follow him. Take up your cross and follow him. Philippians 2.12 says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And I want to close with this. We grossly underestimate the God we serve. We either ignore God's word or we disobey directly a command that comes from him. We we seem to spend more time fearing what people think about us than we try to understand how awesome God Almighty is. Esteban, the Christ we serve is the Lord of creation. Sometimes we forget that or we ignore that. We lack a healthy fear of God. I encourage you to read the book of Revelation. And I know some of you are going, I've tried to do that, and that book is just weird. There's a lot of symbolism in there that I don't understand, and I have to just do a lot of digging. You know, just read it one time through, 
for this only reason, to understand the might, the power of God Almighty. The one that created heaven and earth. The one that calls each of us to be his disciple. That calls each of us to live our lives so that people look at you and say, you're a believer. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but a matter of power.